Uh, today, I want to lead you, first of all, in a not-so-pleasant path, if you'll permit me. Uh, this is actually some very hard life issues, but before we can recognize where our hope should not be, sometimes we must come to the painful realization of where it cannot be. So I want to read you a series of emails that I have received over the last year about some dark days. September 8th, 2014. Please be in prayer for my sister who is battling a very rare form of sarcoma. Last month, my sister received some really good news after two chemo treatments over a seven-week span. There had been an 80 to 90% reduction in her tumors, and the insurance company decided to approve the stem cell transplant, which would take place this coming Friday. However, this past week, she's been dealing with some pain and had to go to the ER last night because it had become unbearable and was coupled with a fever. The scans revealed a large tumor. It seems as though they might have to forego the stem cell procedure until a later date and go ahead with another round of chemo. The doctors do not know if this is a new tumor or remnants from the previous one. October 15th. Today, the doctors in St. Louis will begin the stem cell collection on my sister, and they are hoping that they can reach their goal within the next two to three days. This is that big experimental treatment that they've been talking about since day one, and we're praying that it is a success. October 30th. The stem cell collection last week was a success, and they started the transplant the very next day. They gave her six days of high-dose chemotherapy, which is now beginning to take effect on her body. They have her on a nausea and pain medication, which causes her to sleep most of the day. She is looking at a month-long stay in the hospital at St. Louis. The doctor told us back in May that if she made it six months, she was doing really well, even though she would not feel like it. November 11th, 2014. My sister is doing well. She's been released from the hospital in St. Louis, but is having to stay in town a few more days and come in for checkups before they clear her to go back home. Sadly, this great news has been tainted by another tragedy in her life. Early this morning, their house caught on fire and burned to the ground. I know they must be extremely discouraged at the news. She needs to keep her spirits up so that her body can continue to fight off the cancer cells. December 30th. My sister's most recent PET scan showed that the cancer has gotten worse, though it is still contained in her abdomen. There is a mass pressing on her intestines, making it difficult for her to eat or hold down food. It appears that the experimental treatment that we were so hopeful in in St. Louis back in October was unsuccessful, and the doctors feel that the chemo is no longer working. Please pray for my family. I was able to spend a lot of time with them over the holidays, and many of them are wrestling with hopelessness and asking the question, why, God? January 13th, 2015. 
After three days of in-hospital chemo, the doctors stopped treatment because my sister's kidneys were failing to drain. Since last Wednesday, they tried to put a stent in to help, but each time they've been prevented because one of her levels have been too low. Yesterday, the doctor decided to call off the surgery altogether. She's still unable to hold any food down, so they've put her on a nutrient dip, drip until they can figure out what's causing the blockage in her intestines. They have her on a lot of pain and nausea meds, which causes her to sleep most of the day. February 10th, 2015. This coming Friday, my sister will go in for surgery to receive hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy. Basically, the doctors will remove all visible cancer tissue from her abdomen, then pump her with heated chemo into her uh, abdominal cavity that will instantly kill all cancer cells that it comes into contact with. The surgery is expected to take 8 to 10 hours, and they will be removing some of her less vital organs to lower the risk of damage and infection. February 16th, good news. The surgeon was able to remove all of the cancer in my sister's abdomen. The main tumor, which was basketball size, was wrapped around her small intestine, almost completely blocking it, which was why she had not been able to hold any food down for so long. Now she will be able to eat again. He did have to do a full hysterectomy, but that was always a probability. After the chemotherapy treatment, he went back in to clean everything and make sure everything was clear. He believes this will extend her life and also relieve her of a lot of the pain. Due to the aggressiveness of this type of cancer, there is a high chance it will return, but this buys them more more time to try new things. Her journey through this isn't over, but it was great to receive some good news for a change. As we thank God for this good news that he has shown to our family today, we are also praying for his grace to extend to another part of our family. My seven-month-old cousin was taken to the hospital Thursday night, and they're now transferring her to St. Jude, as it appears that she has the same cancer. March 23rd. My sister has been in recovery at the hospital since her surgery on March 13th. Her body had been unable to take food for so long that her intestines became what they call lazy and would no longer allow anything to pass through them. However, thanks be to God, she's had a good week of eating, and she kept the food down. So it looks as though she might get to come home tomorrow. March 30th. My sister has had to go back into the hospital due to complications from surgery. They found a spot on her liver and confirmed that the cancer has already begun to grow back. Her doctor has given her the option of refusing any further treatment. Given all that she has been through the past year, but she continues to fight. April 7th, the doctors have called in the family. They almost lost my sister last night and don't expect her to be with us much longer. My family and I are currently en route via plane to Memphis to be with her during these last hours and say goodbye. This is so hard. I will miss her terribly, but I am resting in God's comfort and in the hope of eternity and in the resurrection. April 8th, Daniel 
Danielle, my sister, was alert when we arrived yesterday. And I wasn't prepared for that, but I'm very thankful. I had some time alone with her just for us to talk. Mostly me talking as she's not saying much. She's afraid. She's afraid of the unknown. She's afraid of what death will be like. I prayed with her and asked God to remove her fear and to bring her peace and comfort and that she would face death well, trusting in her Savior. April 10th. My sister has been putting up a tough tough fight. She's been hanging in there, refusing to close her eyes, but they've had to give her blood, and now they've put in the catheter and don't expect her to be waking up anymore. I have a very specific request that I would ask you to pray for. Pray for my cousin, Andy, who isn't a believer. He and my sister are close in age and were very close growing up. He hit a low point last night and was pretty much inconsolable. He doesn't understand why it can't be him. He's made some terrible choices in life, living a rather bad life. So now he's dealing with guilt, with why it can't be him in the hospital bed rather than my sister. Well, death, tribulation, suffering, to what or whom should we look? Did you know that 100% of us will die? 100%, statistically speaking. It's about as certain as we can be. As a matter of fact, outside of the Lord returning, we will grow old. Even you young ones will grow old. You will die. In between this time and then, it's highly likely that you will experience a hard life. You'll grow old, you'll die, and people will forget you. Well, that is the bad news. This morning, I want to give us a little hope from a familiar, yet I'm afraid, somewhat misunderstood psalm. I want to talk about Psalm 22 through 24, including the oft-quoted Psalm 23, the one that's quoted most often at funerals. Now, just a little bit of background here on the Psalms, uh, just so we can set our uh, perspective right. You know, the Psalms are very important for Christian theology. They're often quoted in the New Testament in very important ways in particular around messianic themes. Uh, Within the last few hundred years, however, the Psalms have been interpreted within their ancient Near Eastern context, often within the context which such Psalms would typically arise, maybe in a king's coronation, or possibly in some sort of funeral lament, or possibly around certain feast days like Thanksgiving, They would give these thanksgiving psalms. And so often the last couple hundred years, these psalms would be uh, preached and interpreted in these sort of individualistic ways. 
uh, just looking at a particular psalm, maybe even looking at it in a isolated, particular relationship to maybe David, uh, around whom many of the psalms uh, revolve and are attributed to or about, as is this one in the little title called that we call a superscription. So there's been this movement, however, within scholarship recently to read and understand the psalms as they're actually laid out in the book of Psalms, as in one right next to another. So one would be read, and then the next one, the one following it, will be read kind of in conversation with the previous one or in association with the previous one. As a matter of fact, it's actually the superscriptions. That's these little titles. Often, I think, in our Bibles, in some of the versions, it's like verse 1. And these superscriptions actually fit them into a sequence. More on that for another day, though. We are, though, this morning going to read these psalms in light of one another and an attempt to kind of hear the conversation, if you will, going on between Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. And that is indeed why we opened up with the unhappy way that we did with death, with tribulation. As if staring death in the face with cancer is not enough, this was a young woman in the prime of life who had this cancer. In order to hopefully cure the cancer, the doctors had to take out her less important vital organs including her reproductive vital organs, less vital organs. Not only that, her house burns to the ground. Her infant niece gets cancer. How much more must a person take? Listen to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But, but me... I'm a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. Everyone sneers at me. They literally wag the lip. They wag the head. And they say, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Surely you are the one who brought me from the womb. You made me trust upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from the birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Please be not far from me, because trouble is near. There is no one to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong ones of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide, wide their mouth at me and, and uh, roar like a ravenous lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted. 
It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Into the dust of death you put me. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. Look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. My clothing, for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. You, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword. Me only from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. Answer me. Let me tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, let me praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. Because he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. When he cried out to him, he heard. From you is my praise in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. Let the afflicted eat and be satisfied. Let those who seek him praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Let all the ends of the earth remember and turn to the Lord. Let all the families of the nations worship you because the kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over nations. All those who sleep in the earth. There's a possible note here we'll talk about in a minute. All those who sleep in the earth ate and worshipped. Everyone going down to the dust will bend the knee before him. His soul is no longer alive. A seed will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to that generation. Let them come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born because he has done it. This morning I want to communicate three movements of basically these three psalms. This first movement comes from Psalm 22, and you can imagine it involves tribulation and death. The second movement will come from Psalm 23. The third movement will come from Psalm 24. But we heard tribulation and death quite easily here in Psalm 22. God has seemingly abandoned this person. People mock him. Dogs and lions rip at him. Life has closed him in. God, as a matter of fact, is nowhere to be seen. Yes, he has taken care of Israel's father, the psalmist says. Fathers. He has taken care of Israel's fathers. Yes, he has brought this one from his mother's womb and caused uh, him to trust on his mother's breast. Yes, he did do that. He did make it through birth. He brought him about on his mother's milk. Yes, he has carried him thus far, but where is he now, the psalmist asks. These words here are not necessarily comforting words as much as they are skeptical words. Lord, you did this for the fathers. Meanwhile, dogs rip at me. And where are you? Why, God, have you abandoned me and forsaken me? which is how the psalm begins. People were literally jeering at this one because he actually trusted in God. You trust in God. Where where is he now? You say you believe in God? Well, why doesn't he do this for you? 
You say you believe in Jesus? Where is he at? You believe in Jesus while your loved one sits suffering with cancer. Where is he? They said, let him deliver him. He was the one who had committed his way to the Lord. He was the one who trusted him. Well, where is he? Lord, if I cannot depend on you to get me out of a little disease, dare I say it, what good are you, God? God, if you won't just give me a bit of a break with my finances, then what good is it to be a Christian? God, if you don't give me at least one decent friend who isn't a jerk or who's faithful to me, then what in the world, God? He wanted, actually, to encourage his brothers to look to God. He wanted to tell of his faithfulness among the peoples. But God, you have to rescue me if that is what you want, he seemed to be saying. I can't do this on my own, God. Have those words ever come out of your mouth? Seemed to be what the psalmist was saying. God, where are you? I mean, we all know John 3.16. We know that he loves the world, but Lord, do you really love me? Maybe it's something in particular about you. Maybe the Lord will be cruel to you, like he seemingly is cruel to others. Bring them into this world as as some sick, cruel joke. Give them just enough hope to cause them to lift their eyes with a little anticipation and expectation just for it to be dashed with death, disease, and ridicule. Well, besides the uh, obvious quotes of Christ that echo in the New Testament of this psalm, I want you to see a few other things close up. This person, this one speaking in the psalm, is quite upset. In the midst of organ failure, literally his own organs, his body collapsing, dogs biting him, feeling abandonment, in the midst of people encircling him, piercing his hands and feet. I want you to notice a couple psalms, a couple verses. Notice Psalm 22, 15, the last clause of this particular psalm. After talking about his bones and his, uh, literally his, the water being poured out, his heart melting like wax and so on and so forth, he literally says, into the dust of death you have put me. The psalmist here seems to be saying, look, I am dead or I am dying. You put me into the ground. You have put me in the dust. This one who is experiencing the tribulation, who has grown up listening to the stories of Yahweh's faithfulness to, his, to the fathers, now plainly recognizes that his life is coming to an end. Psalm 22-29, the one I said that we'd talk about, says this, Everybody who sleeps in the earth ate and worshipped. Everyone going down to the dust will bend the knee before him. But listen to this. His soul is no longer alive. Again, the psalmist says, this one who the psalm is talking about is dead. He no longer has 
life. And there's this question of whether the text actually reads the prosperous ones ate and worshipped, or whether it's this, the ones who sleep ate and worshipped. Um, there is that question, but it really doesn't matter because you can see the second half of the parallel verse says those who go down to the dust. We are talking about death here. In other words, the psalmist is saying, yeah, look, everybody's going down to death. And this particular one is dead. He is no longer alive. Matter of fact, it says his soul or his life no longer lives. That will be important in a moment. So whoever the psalm is discussing is gone. He is no more. All that is left is to encourage another generation to serve him and to tell about him. That's the final verse of the psalm. The psalm ends as quiet as one would expect at a funeral. And yet that's not all because we have another psalm. We have another psalm. The author of the book of Psalms placed Psalm 23 right after Psalm 22, thankfully. Psalm 23, listen to me. Psalm 23 does not allow death which all of us will experience. Psalm 23 does not allow death to be the end of the story. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22, I titled the sermon, Death's Final Lap. I thought about titling it Death's Final Sting, Death's Final Game, Death's Final Championship, but the point was all the same. First of all, I used a sports illustration for all those things. Not sure why. But always, death was done to a certain extent. So the second movement of this three-psalm ensemble is the presence of God who restores life. Let's look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I am lacking nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside restful waters. My soul, he brings back. That's Psalm 23. 23.3. We're not used to hearing it that way, and we'll come back and explain more in a moment. We're used to it being recited at funerals and being an indication of the resignation and calmness of death with the hope of an afterlife. We're used to hearing it, he restores my soul. But this is the same soul, it's the same word that the psalmist used in 22.29, where he said, his soul no longer lives, or his life is no more. It's the same word here, just a few verses later. Namely, he restores or he brings back my soul or my life. Moreover, the word here that I'm translating, bring back, that is normally translated uh, restores, literally refers to that of dying. The Hebrew dictionary says outright that this verb here that I've translated bring back refers to, quote, of dying or Quote, of revival from death. Verbs, uh, verses like Job 10.21, which says, uh, Before I go to the grave and I do not come back. This same word here, the same Hebrew word here, restore, which is normally translated restore. I do not come back to the land of darkness and to the shadow of death. This is the same word that's used right here in the next psalm, where it says, that he restores me and walks with me in death's shadow or in the shadow of death. 
death. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death. It's the same word here. So we've got several words here in Job 10 that are equivalent to our Psalm 23. We could look at another verse when David speaks of his dead child in 2 Samuel 12, 23. He says, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Am I able to bring him back? I will go to him, but he cannot come back to me. In other words, this word here that is used, he restores my soul, literally means that the the person is coming back from death. He brings me back from death. He brings my life back. So now we can note in the progression of these two psalms that the soul that was dead in Psalm 22 is now alive, even in the midst of the suffering and the tribulation, the trials, the death. In Psalm 22, Psalm 23 declares that he is now, that Yahweh has brought him back alive. And he continues to lead him in good paths. Verse 3 says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's that word that was in Job 10 as well. Well, I will fear no evil because you are with you. You are with me, your rod and staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That is, the band of evildoers that were all around him in Psalm 22, now he no longer fears. His enemies, from Psalm 22, must now watch as he feasts in abundance, in quietness, in peace, in joy. He says in verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, it's obvious here that God has richly returned on his head abundance. The good things, the love that pursue him all the days of life. He literally lives in the house of God now. He's protected. He's in the presence of God dwelling with him daily. So we should ask, who is this? Who is this one who was dead and is now alive? It's very interesting that the New Testament quotes so prolifically from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Jesus said on the cross. Uh, You can count all his bones, the gospel writer said. Who is this? psalm about well psalm 24 will speak to that as a matter of fact psalm 24 which is the third movement praise to the lord who comes forth from the grave that's the third movement praise to the lord who comes forth from the grave psalm 24 immediately asks a question listen to the question who may go up on the mountain of the lord who may stand in his holy place Well, the one who has innocent hands and a pure heart, the one who doesn't lift up his soul to idols, who hasn't sworn in deceitfulness. Well, we could ask right away, who is this one? 
we know, obviously, it's not any of us. We also know it's not David, who obviously broke the law. Who is this one who has innocent hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift up his soul to idols? It's certainly not Israel, who are indicted throughout Scripture for their harlotrous, idolatrous, repeated habits. Well, whoever it is, verse 5 says, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now look in verse 20, uh, look in verse 7, which breaks out in high praise and repeats over and over again, lauding the news. Listen to this. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, eternal doors, and let the King of glory come. Who is the King of glory? The Lord is the King of glory. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, eternal doors. Let the King of glory come. Verse 10, who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Who is the one who was brought back to life? He is the Lord, the King of glory. The gates here in Psalm 24, 7 are literally described as gates of death in Psalm 9 and Psalm 107 and other places. The doors here in 24-7 are used in Psalm 5 to describe the wicked as those who have a grave door. Sometimes translated, their throat is like an open grave. That's the same word here. It's, it's word opening is associated with the grave. And here it's called, they're called eternal openings or eternal doors. And he says, lift them up. Let them out of these eternal doors which normally are associated with the grave and hold life down. Psalm 106.17 also describes the land as opening, the same word, swallowing the evil men in the camps so that they go down to death. The psalmist here proclaims that it is literally the king of glory who will come out of the eternal doors. He will come out of the gates of death. He is the Lord, Yahweh, strong and mighty, overcoming death. He's a hero, it describes here, a warrior who goes out and does battle and overcomes death. That, once again, all of you and me will face. Who is this king of glory? He's none other than the Lord of hosts, Jesus is the king of glory who overcomes death. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he looks around at his disciples and he knows what this world has for them. I think he would probably do a similar thing for us if he was certain that we would be faithful. He says this, it's what Jim read earlier. He replied to them, he said, Do you now believe? Look, 
A time is coming. As a matter of fact, it has come, he says, when you will be scattered. Each to his own home, and I will be left alone. But I'm not alone. My Father is with me. So I've told you these things so that in me, Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. Because in the world, you are going to have trouble and suffering. You're going to be experiencing disease, abandonment, financial troubles, houses burning down, lost jobs, financial trouble. But in me, you will have peace. In the world, you'll have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have conquered the world. Well, yesterday, a few of us went to a workshop where we heard about broken expectations and the trouble with broken expectations. Because when we have an expectation and it's broken, guess what? We're hurt and we're angry. Well, we live in this place called America. And America has been a glorious country and there have been many blessings to it. But we have this thing called the American dream where each of us, myself included, grew up expecting to experience the American dream. It's a setup. It's a setup to be dissatisfied with where God has you. And may I suggest that the American dream isn't so biblical because Jesus said, look, you're going to have nothing but hardship in this world. So don't expect, don't expect the easy road. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. The King of glory has come out of the grave and has led the way to God. April 14th, 2015. This morning, my sister went home to be with the Lord. My family and I were all present with her during her last few moments, and we're all processing what has taken place. The comfort and peace I feel right now is indescribable. I'm sure the weight of it will hit me eventually, but right now I'm glad she's no longer suffering. I have great hope in knowing that I will see her again one day, and it is my prayer that God would help me comfort others with the comfort I feel at this moment. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. There's no other response that is appropriate other than worship of your power that raised Christ from the dead and your love offered and given to us so that we might trust in the King of glory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.